0: Section nine of The Cricket on the Hearth by Charles Dickens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Cricket on the Hearth by Charles Dickens. Caleb wondered what this meant, perceiving that she spoke to him no less than to his daughter. He saw her with astonishment, so fluttered and distressed that she could scarcely breathe, and holding to a chair to save herself from falling. "'There are wheels indeed,' she panted. "'Coming nearer, nearer, very close. "'And now you hear them stopping at the garden gate. "'And now you hear a step outside the door, "'the same step, Bertha, is it not? "'And now?' She uttered a wild cry of uncontrollable delight, and running up to Caleb, put her hands upon his eyes as a young man rushed into the room and, "'flinging away his hat into the air, "'came sweeping down upon them. "'Is it over?' cried Dot. "'Yes! "'Happily over? "'Yes! "'Do you recollect the voice, dear Caleb? "'Did you ever hear the like of it before?' cried Dot. "'If my boy in the golden South Americas was alive,' "'said Caleb, trembling.' "'He is alive!' shrieked Dot, removing her hands from his eyes and clapping them in ecstasy. "'Look at him! See where he stands before you, healthy and strong! Your own dear son! Your own dear, living, loving brother, Bertha! All honour to the little creature for her transports! All honour to her tears and laughter when the three were locked in another's arms!' all honour to the heartiness with which she met the sunburnt sailor fellow with his dark-streaming hair half-way, and never turned her rosy little mouth aside, but suffered him to kiss it freely, and to press her to his bounding heart. And honour to the cuckoo, too, bursting out of the trap-door in the Moorish palace like a house-breaker, and hiccuping twelve times on the assembled company, as if he had got drunk for joy. The carrier, entering, started back, and well he might to find himself in such good company look john said caleb exultingly look here my own boy from the golden south americas my own son him that you fitted out and sent away yourself him that you were always such a friend to the carrier advanced to seize him by the hand but recoiling as some feature in his face awakened a remembrance of the deaf man in the cart said edward was it you now tell him all cried dot tell him all edward and don't spare me for nothing shall make me spare myself in his eyes ever again i was the man said edward and could you steal disguised into the house of your old friend rejoined the carrier there was a frank boy once how many years is it caleb since we heard that he was dead and had it proved we thought who never would have done that there was a generous friend of mine once more a father to me than a friend said edward who never would have judged me or any other man unheard you were he so i am certain you will hear me now The carrier, with a troubled glance at Dot, who still kept far away from him, replied, "'Well, that's but fair. I will.' "'You must know that when I left here a boy,' said Edward, "'I was in love, and my love was returned. "'She was a very young girl, who perhaps, you may tell me, didn't know her own mind. "'But I knew mine, and I had a passion for her.' "'You had!' exclaimed the carrier. "'You!' "'Indeed I had,' returned the other, and she returned it. "'I have ever since believed she did, and now I am sure she did.' "'Heaven help me,' said the carrier. "'This is worse than all.' "'Constant to her,' said Edward, and returning full of hope after my hardships and perils to redeem my part of our old contract, I heard twenty miles away that she was false to me, that she had forgotten me, and bestowed herself upon another and a richer man.' I had no mind to reproach her, but I wished to see her, and prove beyond dispute that this was true. I hoped she might have been forced into it against her own desire and recollection. It would be small comfort, but it would be some, I thought. And on I came. That I might have the truth, the real truth, observing freely for myself, and judging for myself, without obstruction on the one hand, or presenting my own influence, if I had any, before her on the other. I dressed myself unlike myself you know how and waited on the road you know where you had no suspicion of me neither had had she pointing to dot until i whispered in her ear at that fireside and she so nearly betrayed me but when she knew that edward was alive and had come back sobbed dot now speaking for herself as she had burned to do all through this narrative and when she knew his purpose she advised him by all means to keep his secret close for his old friend john peerybingle was much too open in his nature and too clumsy in all artifice being a clumsy man in general said dot half laughing and half crying to keep it for him and when she that's me john sobbed the little woman told him all and how his sweetheart had believed him to be dead "'and how she had at last been over-persuaded by her mother "'into a marriage with the silly, dear old thing called advantageous, "'and when she, that's me, again, John, "'told him that they were not yet married, though close upon it, "'and that it would be nothing but a sacrifice if it went on, "'for there was no love on her side, "'and when he went nearly mad with joy to hear it, "'then she, that's me again, said she would go between them, "'as she had often done before in old times, John, "'and would sound his sweetheart.' and be sure that what she, me again, John, said and thought was right, and it was right, John, and they were brought together, John, and they were married, John, an hour ago, and here's the bride, and Gruff and Tackleton may die a bachelor, and I'm a happy little woman, May, God bless you. She was an irresistible little woman, if that be anything to the purpose, and never so completely irresistible as in her present transports there never were congratulations so endearing and delicious as those she lavished upon herself and on the bride amid the tumult of emotions in his breast the honest carrier had stood confounded flying now towards her dot stretched out her hand to stop him and retreated as before no john no hear all don't love me any more john till you've heard every word i have to say it was wrong to have a secret from you john i'm very sorry I DIDN'T THINK IT ANY HARM TILL I CAME AND SAT DOWN BY YOU ON THE LITTLE STOOL LAST NIGHT. BUT WHEN I KNEW, BUT WHAT WAS WRITTEN IN YOUR FACE, THAT YOU HAD SEEN ME WALKING IN THE GALLERY WITH EDWARD, AND WHEN I KNEW WHAT YOU HAD THOUGHT, I FELT HOW GIDDY AND HOW WRONG IT WAS. BUT, OH, DEAR JOHN, HOW COULD YOU, COULD YOU THINK SO? LITTLE WOMAN, HOW SHE SOBBED AGAIN. JOHN PEERYBINGLE WOULD HAVE CAUGHT HER IN HIS ARMS, BUT NO, SHE WOULDN'T LET HIM. "'Don't love me yet, please, John. Not for a long time yet. When I was sad about this intended marriage, dear, it was because I remembered May and Edward, such young lovers, and I knew that her heart was far away from Tackleton. You believe that now, don't you, John?' John was going to make another rush at this appeal, but she stopped him again. "'No, keep there, please, John. When I laugh at you, as I sometimes do, John, and call you clumsy and a dear old goose, and names of that sort, it's because I love you, John, so well—' and take such pleasure in your ways and wouldn't see you altered in the least respect to have you made a king to-morrow said caleb with unusual vigour my opinion and when i speak of people being middle-aged and steady john and pretend that we are a humdrum couple going on in a jog-trot sort of way it's only because i'm such a silly little thing john that i like sometimes to act as a kind of play with baby and all that and make-believe She saw that he was coming, and stopped him again, but she was very nearly too late. "'No, don't love me for another minute or two, John, if you please wait. What I want most to tell you, I have kept to the last. My dear, good, generous John, when we were talking the other night about the cricket, I had it on my lips to say—' that at first I did not love you quite so dearly as I do now. When I first came home here I was half afraid that I mightn't learn to love you every bit as well as I had hoped and prayed I might, being so very young, John. But dear John, every day and hour I loved you more and more, and if I could have loved you better than I do, the noble words I heard you say this morning would have made me. But I can't. All the affection that I had—it was a great deal, John—I gave you as you well deserve, long, long ago, and I have no more left to give. Now, my dear husband, take me to your heart again. That's my home, John, and never, never think of sending me to any other. You will never derive so much delight from seeing a glorious little woman in the arms of a third party as you would have felt if you had seen Dot run into the carrier's embrace. It was the most complete, unmitigated, soul-fraught little piece of earnestness that you ever beheld in all your days. You may be sure the carrier was in a state of perfect rapture, and you may be sure that Dot was likewise, and you may be sure they all were, inclusive of Miss Slowboy, who wept copiously for joy, and, wishing to include her young charge in the general interchange of congratulations, handed round the baby to everybody in succession as if it were something to drink. But now the sound of wheels was heard again outside the door, and somebody exclaimed that Gruff and Tackleton was coming back speedily that worthy gentleman appeared looking warm and flustered why what the devil's this john Peribingle said tackleton there's some mistake i appointed mrs tackleton to meet me at the church and i'll swear i passed her on the road on the way here oh here she is i beg your pardon sir i haven't the pleasure of knowing you but if you can do me the favour to spare this young lady she has a rather particular engagement this morning but i can't spare her returned edward i couldn't think of it "'What do you mean, you vagabond?' said Tackleton. "'I mean that, as I can make allowance for your being vexed,' returned the other with a smile, "'I am as deaf to harsh discourse this morning as I was to all discourse last night.' The look that Tackleton bestowed upon him, and the start he gave. "'I am sorry, sir,' said Edward, holding out May's left hand, and especially the third finger. "'But the lady can't accompany you to church, "'but as she has been there once this morning, "'perhaps you'll excuse her.' Tackleton looked hard at the third finger, and took a little piece of silver paper, apparently containing a ring, from his waistcoat pocket. "'Miss Slowboy,' said Tackleton, "'will you have the kindness to throw that in the fire?' "'Thank ye.' "'It was a previous engagement, quite an old engagement, "'that prevented my wife from keeping her appointment with you, "'I assure you,' said Edward.' "'Mr. Tackleton will do me the justice to acknowledge that I revealed it to him faithfully, and that I told him many times I never could forget it,' said May, blushing. "'Oh, certainly,' said Tackleton. "'Oh, to be sure. Oh, that's all right. It's quite correct. Mrs. Edward Plummer, I infer.' "'That's the name,' returned the bridegroom. "'Ah, I shouldn't have known you, sir,' said Tackleton, scrutinizing his face narrowly and making a low bow. "'I give you joy, sir.' "'Thank ye.' "'Mrs. Peerybingle said Tackleton, "'turning suddenly to where she stood with her husband, "'I'm sorry. "'You haven't done me a very great kindness, "'but upon my life I am sorry. "'You are better than I thought you. "'John Peerybingle. I am sorry. "'You understand me. "'That's enough. "'It's quite correct, ladies and gentlemen all, "'and perfectly satisfactory. "'Good morning.' "'With these words he carried it off, "'and carried himself too, "'merely stopping at the door "'to take the flowers and favours from his horse's head.' and to kick that animal once in the ribs, as a means of informing him that there was a screw loose in his arrangements. Of course it became a serious duty now to make such a day of it as should mark these events for the high feast and festival in the Pearybingle calendar for evermore. Accordingly, Dot went to work to produce such an entertainment as should reflect undying honour on the house and on every one concerned, and, in a very short space of time, she was up to her dimpled elbows and flour, and whitening the carrier's coat every time he came near her, by stopping to give him a kiss. That good fellow washed the greens, and peeled the turnips, and broke the plates, and upset iron pots full of cold water on the fire, and made himself useful in all sorts of ways, while a couple of professional assistants hastily called in from somewhere in the neighborhood, as on a point of life or death ran against each other in all the doorways and round the corners and everybody tumbled over tillie slow boy and the baby everywhere tillie never came out in such force before her ubiquity was a theme of general admiration she was a stumbling-block in the passage at five-and-twenty minutes past two a man-trap in the kitchen at half-past two precisely and a pitfall in the garret at twenty-five minutes to three the baby's head was as it were, a test and touchstone for every description of matter, animal, vegetable, and mineral. Nothing was in use that day that didn't come, at some time or other, in close acquaintance with it. Then there was a great expedition set on foot to go to find Mrs. Fielding, and to be dismally penitent to the excellent gentlewoman, and to bring her back, by force if needed, to be happy and forgiving." and when the expedition first discovered her she would listen to no terms at all but said an unspeakable number of times that ever should she have lived to see the day and couldn't be got to say anything else except now carry me to the grave which seemed absurd on account of her not being dead or anything at all like it after a time she lapsed into a state of dreadful calmness and observed that when that unfortunate train of circumstances had occurred in the indigo trade she had foreseen that she would be exposed during her whole life to every species of insult and contumely and that she was glad to find it was the case and begged they wouldn't trouble themselves about her for what would she oh dear nobody but would forget that such a being lived and would take their course in life without her from this bitterly sarcastic mood she passed into an angry one in which she gave vent to the remarkable expression that the worm would turn if trodden on and after that she yielded to a soft regret and said if they had only given her their confidence what might she not have had it in her power to suggest taking advantage of this crisis in her feelings the expedition embraced her and she very soon had her gloves on and was on her way to john Peerybingle's in a state of unimpeachable gentility with a paper parcel at her side containing a cap of state almost as tall and quite as stiff as a mitre then there were dot's father and mother to come in another little chaise and they were behind their time and fears were entertained and there was much looking out for them down the road and mrs fielding always would look in the wrong and morally impossible direction and being apprised thereof hoped she might take the liberty of looking where she pleased at last they came a chubby little couple jogging along in a snug and comfortable little way that quite belonged to the dot family and dot and her mother side by side were wonderful to see they were so like each other then dot's mother had to renew her acquaintance with may's mother and May's mother always stood on her gentility, and Dot's mother never stood on anything but her active little feet. An old Dot, so to call Dot's father, I forgot it wasn't his right name, but never mind, took liberties and shook hands at first sight, and seemed to think a cap but so much starch and muslin, and didn't defer himself at all to the indigo trade, but said there was no help for it now, and, in Mrs. Fielding's summing up, was a good-natured kind of man, but coarse, my dear." I wouldn't have missed Dot, doing the honours in her wedding gown, my benison on her bright face, for any money. No, nor the good carrier, so jovial and so ruddy, at the bottom of the table, nor the brown, fresh sailor fellow and his handsome wife, nor any one among them. To have missed the dinner would have been to miss as jolly and stout a meal as a man need eat, and to have missed the overflowing cups in which they drank the wedding day would have been the greatest miss of all. After dinner, Caleb sang the song about the sparkling bowl. As I'm a living man, hoping to keep so for a year or two, he sang it through. And by the by, the most unlooked-for incident occurred, just as he finished the last verse. There was a tap at the door, and a man came staggering in without saying with your leave or by your leave, with something heavy on his head. Setting this down in the middle of the table, symmetrically in the center of the nuts and apples, he said, "'Mr. Tackleton's compliments, and, as he hasn't got no use for the cake himself, "'perhaps you'll eat it.' "'And with those words he walked off. "'There was some surprise among the company, as you may imagine. "'Mrs. Fielding, being a lady of infinite discernment, "'suggested that the cake was poisoned, "'and related a narrative of a cake which, within her knowledge, "'had turned a seminary for young ladies blue, "'but she was overruled by acclamation, "'and the cake was cut by May, with much ceremony and rejoicing.' I don't think any one had tasted it when there came another tap at the door, and the same man appeared again, having under his arm a vast brown paper parcel. Mr. Tackleton's compliments, and he's sent a few toys for the babby. They ain't ugly. After the delivery of which expressions, he retired again. The whole party would have experienced great difficulty in finding words for their astonishment, even if they had had ample time to seek them. But they had none at all. "'for the messenger had scarcely shut the door behind him "'when there came another tap, and Tackletim himself walked in. "'Mrs. Peerybingle," said the toy merchant, hat in hand, "'I'm sorry. I'm more sorry than I was this morning. "'I've had time to think of it. "'John Peerybingle. I am sour by disposition, "'but I can't help being sweetened more or less "'by coming face to face with such a man as you.' "'Caleb, this unconscious little nurse gave me a broken hint last night "'of which I have found the thread. "'I blush to think how easily I might have bound you and your daughter to me, "'and what a miserable idiot I was when I took her for one. "'Friends, one and all, my house is very lonely tonight. "'I have not so much as a cricket on my hearth. "'I have scared them all away. "'Be gracious to me. Let me join this happy party.' "'He was at home in five minutes. "'You never saw such a fellow. "'What had he been doing with himself all his life, "'never to have known before his great capacity of being jovial? "'Or what had the fairies been doing with him "'to have effected such a change?' "'John, you won't send me home this evening, will you?' "'whispered Dot. "'He had been very near it, though. "'There wanted but one living creature to make the party complete, "'and, in the twinkling of an eye, there he was,' "'very thirsty, with hard running, "'and engaged in hopeless endeavours "'to squeeze his head into a narrow pitcher. "'He had gone with the cart to its journey's end, "'very much disgusted with the absence of his master, "'and stupendously rebellious to the deputy. "'After lingering about the stable for some little time, "'vainly attempting to incite the old horse "'to the mutinous act of returning on his own account, "'he had walked into the tap-room "'and laid himself down before the fire.' but suddenly yielding to the conviction that the deputy was a humbug and must be abandoned, he had got up again, turned tail, and come home. There was a dance in the evening, with which general mention of that recreation I should have left it alone, if I had not some reason to suppose that it was quite an original dance, and one of a most uncommon figure. It was formed in an odd way, in this way. Edward, the sailor-fellow, a good free-dashing sort of fellow he was, had been telling them various marvels concerning parrots and mines and Mexicans and gold-dust, and all at once he took it in his head to jump up from his seat and propose a dance, for Bertha's harp was there, and she such a hand upon it as you seldom hear. Dot, sly little piece of affection when she chose, said her dancing days were over, I think because the carrier was smoking his pipe, and she liked sitting by him best." Mrs. Fielding had no choice, of course, but to say her dancing days were over. After that, and everybody said the same, except May, May was ready. So May and Edward get up, amid great applause, to dance alone, and Bertha plays her liveliest tune. Well, if you'll believe me, they had not been dancing for five minutes, when suddenly the carrier flings his pipe away, takes Dot round the waist, dashes out into the room, and starts off with her, toe and heel, quite wonderfully. Tackleton no sooner sees this than he skims across to Mrs. Fielding, takes her round the waist, and follows suit. Old Dot no sooner sees this than up he is, all alive, whisks off Mrs. Dot into the middle of the dance, and is foremost there. Caleb no sooner sees this than he clutches Tilly Slowboy by both hands and goes off at score. Miss Slowboy, firm in the belief that diving hotly in among other couples and affecting any number of concussions with them is your only principle of footing it. Hark! how the cricket joins the music with its chirp, 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 and how the kettle hums. But what is this? Even as I listen to them blithely, and turn towards Dot for one last glimpse of a little figure, very pleasant to me, she and the rest have vanished into air, and I am left alone. A cricket sings upon the hearth, a broken child's toy lies upon the ground, and nothing else remains. End of section nine. End of The Cricket on the Hearth by Charles Dickens